Hello and welcome back to Two Average Brothers. I'm Gift22. Cigar City will not be here for this one. He's sitting it out. In our last podcast type episode, we talked about the Obi-Wan series. We went through episodes one through three, and today we'll be covering episodes four and five. I'm Gift22, joined again by Meanmonger. How are you doing today? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, thanks for coming back. So we're going to do another podcast here, and it's something we want to incorporate more to the channel as a weekly podcast where we branch out a little bit more into TV, movies, things of that nature. We still might talk gaming. Just depends on the topic we want to pick for the week. Probably a lot of Star Wars. Yeah, especially the way it's going now with all the TV shows that have been planned for the future. I think uh, Bad Batch and The Mandalorian Season 3 are coming out later this year. And I think Cigar City is the one that kind of keeps us uh, keeps us on track. But if it's just me and Gif, you know, the two of us would talk about Star Wars all day. Yeah, yeah, we could definitely go about it all day. Last week when we went into Episode 3. Hey, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there definitely is. So let's uh, just go over the end of episode 3, then go into Episode 4, then we'll give a breakdown in some of our opinions. So at the end of Episode 3, Three, we have the confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader. And Vader puts Obi-Wan into the fire. He burns him. He eventually escapes. And then he finds his way back to... Do they go right back to Jabim after that? That's where he was in the back of the tank? Yeah, uh, Tala takes him back to Jabim. And I'm enjoying these. And the way episode three ended with Reva cornering Leia in the tunnel... I was a little disappointed that episode four didn't start off with another Leia chase scene with like Reva not being able to catch her. Yeah, I know. No one can catch this kid. That would have been really great. The Red Hot Chili Peppers gave their lives for this. Yeah, so in episode four, he's in the back to tank. He's not fully healed from what the characters were saying, but he knows that Leia's captured. And the main objective for this episode is to go to Fortress Inquisitorius and rescue Leia. And we're introduced to some of the other people on Jabim. And there was a conversation with that one guy who kind of had a quick change of heart about taking them to the fortress. Yeah, that was a little a little quick. I get they got to have the story moving. But before we go too far into that, I just want to give kudos to the showrunners um, for this and everything else because we mentioned the back to tanks briefly. But that, again, was just another great example of show, show me, don't tell me with Anakin and Obi-Wan both cutting back and forth with those scenes with both of them in the back to tanks kind of reliving uh the confrontation and bringing back old memories and you can tell they're both really kind of horrified and tortured by the past and i just thought from a cinematic perspective and a visuals perspective those cuts back and forth between the two of them in the back to tank just really sealed that message that, i thought that was great yeah i really did like that it shows the state of mind of bo- where both of these characters are at and like you just said they're, they both have their own separate types of trauma that they're taking from it. Vader was defeated, but yet Obi-Wan's defeated in the sense that he feels like he failed Anakin, and all those memories are brought back following their first confrontation in 10 years. Yeah, that's clearly going to leave a mark on the both of them, and they did it. That back-to-tank scene really established that right off the bat. So once again, this show is kind of sticking to that realistic, almost darker tone um, and being pretty consistent with that, at least, which is uh, which has been nice. Yeah, it's it's pulled a lot more darker tones than I think we expected from something with the Disney IP attached to it. Like they've shown some strong images. Moving forward in the episode, they go to Fortress Inquisitorius, and one thing that was kind of like okay to me. So he goes in the underwater route, just like Cal Kestis did, and the events of Fallen Order already took place so he entered the same way essentially that cal did five years ago the security of the fortress doesn't seem like it is where it should be yeah i definitely get the sentiment of like oh this is the inquisitor's home base it's also there's clearly like a garrison of stormtroopers and imperial officers so you know who would in their right mind would attack us here but i mean if it's already happened once in star wars history i i definitely get the uh empire is very pig-headed about their own uh, power in the universe, but y- you would think they might have might have patched that hole up at least. Yeah, you would definitely think that after another Jedi arrived, escaped, and es- fled from Vader. Then going through security, I do like the interaction between Tala and the security officer. It- it's just kind of nice, like how she played the game on him. Like I'm your superior officer. How dare you question me? I don't know if it's necessarily how long she's been playing this role of the double agent or just her background in the empire. But it's, it's kind of funny how that personality changes when she's trying to 
pass through security as an officer. It's like, well, I have to be as much of a jerk as possible, and then they'll let me through, which is how the Empire gets stuff done. So it's interesting to see that character switching back and forth between like her Imperial officer persona and her you know, human rights Jedi protector persona. Yeah, if I had to guess, she's been doing the double agent role for a while, because they kind of go more into her backstory and the episode that followed. Yeah, if I had to guess, I mean, she's probably been doing this for at least five years, you'd think, because there's a 10 year gap between three and four. Yeah, and despite how uh, clearly intimidated and scared she was to be at, you know, Fortress Inquisitorius, uh, still just nailing it. Like, it's, it's second nature. Like, she knows what it takes to fit in. Um, and you absolutely need somebody like that in this kind of operation that the path is going. Yeah, and then they continue the storyline from Reva capturing Leia, and there was an interrogation scene, and you were saying you weren't that big a fan of the interrogation scene. Yeah, I'm loving the series up until now, uh, up through all these episodes. I know uh, there's been a little bit of hesitation from some of the fans and a little bit of backlash, and you know, my message from the previous episode where we talked about it still stands. You know, Be patient, they're going through it they're telling a story and some of those story beats take time but i do have to say this part of the episode kind of took me out of it a little bit with that interrogation because i mean it's a little girl yes riva found her riva however you pronounce it you know found her in that hidden tunnel that the path uses but then they take her to be interrogated like as if she's some kind of mastermind behind the path like, we found you in the tunnel. You've got to know where they are. Tell us where they are. And she's like, I'm not telling you. And why is nobody thinking, like, well, does this 10-year-old really know what's going on with the path? Or was she just in the middle of escaping and was caught? Because I've got to bet that if they are uh, harboring Jedi and allowing them to escape through this sort of clandestine organization that um, needs to be kept secret, they're probably not telling every single person that goes through the path where all of the other locations are. So, like, why would they think that a little girl would know everything about their operation? That kind of was a little confusing to me. Yeah, and I would have got the sense that Reva would have been able to pick up that this child's Force-sensitive with how much she's able to resist the interrogation. Exactly. And they it seems like they were so close to getting there, and I feel like that was something they could have done different that would have saved that scene for me. Because she probes Leia's mind, which we've already seen a, a Jedi skill that she's very good at is the, the Jedi mind stuff and the probing of the mind. But she encounters resistance with Leia. And the Inquisitor's whole deal is that they're looking for Force-sensitive individuals. So she encounters resistance when she tries to probe Leia's mind and then just kind of moves on. I mean, surely that would completely change the entire tone of the interrogation if she realizes Leia's Force-sensitive. Like, now I don't care about the path anymore. Like, now we've got to take you downstairs to, like, the Jedi kill room or whatever, or, like, figure out what we're doing with you because you're Force-sensitive. Like, that's a completely different situation. And they, they said, they had her say, like, oh, you're strong, and then they just left it there. Here's my take for what I would have liked to have seen that would have really been better for that situation as soon as she does that and realizes that leia is a little bit stronger i think that is when we should have started getting a little bit more of reva's backstory and been like oh so you're force sensitive or something along those lines or you're very strong i was strong like you when i was a child and you know i thought i could trust my mentors and we have maybe a little bit of a flashback where we show the jedi and us as an audience get to see that she's talking about the jedi and she goes you know, but they betrayed me and they'll betray you too. Like they could have done something like that to start tying in her backstory and also make it more relevant that Leia's force sensitive, but they kind of missed that opportunity and they just sort of skipped over it. And I think to me, that was a, a bit of a mistake in that scene. One cool thing that rebounded after that was in the Jedi kill room or that area, they had a bunch of the, their victims on display, like almost like a trophy room of all the Force sensitives they've captured or killed. And there was even a youngling body in there. And I do wonder if we're going to come back. You know, it's hard to ask these questions knowing that there's only, uh, at this point, one episode left. But I wonder if they're going to go back to that and explain a reason for why that room exists. Like, are they doing experiments? Or is it is it just bravado? Is it just to show these are all the Jedi we've captured and killed. Like, is that, that, that seems, I know that Empire in general is very dramatic um, in their show of force and power. And I, I suppose it could just be that, but 
to me, I feel like there's probably got to be another reason for that. And I would be very interested to see if they address that room again. One thing I was wondering, too, is if they're still alive, you know, almost if it's like kind of a carbonite situation where the body is preserved, but the victim is still alive. Yeah. And that's why another reason I'd like them to revisit that, because I honestly, from the visuals, didn't get the impression that they were dead. Like, I thought they were just being in some kind of stasis, like you were saying, with uh, carbonite or something like that. And until Obi-Wan says in the communicator, you know, this is a tomb. And that was what clicked for me. We're like, oh, are they actually dead? Because it looks like they're just, it looks like they might not all be dead. Like it's some room of suspension or something. So that to me didn't get across very clearly until Obi-Wan actually literally said it's a tomb. There was a distraction that was pretty ballsy on Tala's and like she literally distracted Reva, <laughs> which is kind of a big move for essentially a civilian to take. And I like that it was starting to not work because that was really cool because we see Tala is very comfortable in bluffing her way through imperial security bluffing her way through stormtroopers and things like that but she probably even in her role as an imperial officer doesn't really encounter force sensitive people too often so for her to try to bluff reva and it not really work out well it was cool to see that start to fall apart and for her to start doubting herself and get really scared because uh, it's like you're it's a completely different game. And meanwhile, while that's going on, you get kind of a Easter egg to the Force Unleashed 2 trailer where it's a pitch black room and then it's just illuminated by Obi-Wan's lightsaber and he starts chopping down stormtroopers to rescue Leia. And this absolutely just again, just speaking from a, like a cinematic perspective and a, like a filmmaking and, and just visuals perspective. God, one of the best things to ever happen to Star Wars is practically lit lightsabers yeah. um, in film because being able to take advantage of these dark room with all of a sudden a lightsaber ignites or uh, you know a night lightsaber duel just that clash of like the dark and the light colors it's stunning every time give me more of that I yeah. love that scene. all of that stuff and then another scene that's been making its way a lot into Star Wars is hallway scenes with the first one really being the hallway scene at the end of Rogue One. Then we got one in the Mandalorian season two finale with Luke. And then here we get one with Obi-Wan fighting off stormtroopers. And you see him kind of take back his Jedi master form. Yeah, and it's great to see him start to sort of warm up with his Jedi skills. He's clearly very rusty and he's been um, not as comfortable with the force as he was in his prime during the Clone Wars. And it's, it's interesting to me. I think I noticed, I don't know if this was intentional from the story writing perspective, but it's interesting that, you know, th it opens up with when they're on their way there, you know, he's trying to pull the object and he's focusing on the force. And there's been a few other moments like that where he's left on his own to meditate by himself with nothing else going on. And it seems like his connection to the force is limited. But as soon as he's placed in a situation where he has to use the force or he has to use his lightsaber and he has to act, you can see that like the muscle memory, so to speak, is still there. Like it's almost like he's overthinking it when he's really trying to connect with the force. But when he's fighting and actually trying to save Leia, it all just comes right back to him, or at least starting to come right back to him. I think that's really cool uh, just from like a mental health perspective and seeing how that mind works with Obi-Wan. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's still Obi-Wan and he's still one of the most acclaimed Jedi Masters in all of Star Wars. So Exactly, very powerful Jedi. Yeah, so it's not like all that's just going to go away. And uh, they kind of touch on that too in The Force Unleashed with uh, Sare. She does a similar thing, but at the end of the day, you're still a powerful Jedi and you can still fight when you need to. Exactly. So it shows um, there needs to be dedication and connection to the Force, but at the same time, he is a master. So, yeah. yeah. And then after that, you get kind of one of the goofier scenes in the series where they're walking out and Obi-Wan's the only person there with a beard and Leia's hiding in a trench coat. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, you get that there's chaos, there's alarms going off, like something's happening. So people are running around and maybe aren't paying attention to everybody that walks around them. But also at the same time, there's alarms going off. You're probably looking out for things that don't look right and... Obi-Wan with a beard and four legs is something that doesn't look right. Yeah, that, that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And then Reva finds them 
they're trying to escape the planet and they send in some snow speeders with a couple pilots. And what was kind of odd was Revo was blocking snow speeder blasters with her lightsaber. Like you'd think that like they were powerful enough to take down um ATATs in episode five, so I don't think a lightsaber would be much of a defense for that. And I wonder, this is we're probably getting into a conversation here that we, we can't really answer, but I wonder what the Star Wars physics for that are, because if you have like lightsabers deflecting like blaster fire you know at what point does that become too powerful because it's still you know like a kyber crystal lightsaber versus you know whatever the blasters are powered by it's like does that really matter if it's light against light but as you said we've shown those to be very powerful so i don't know maybe some questions without answers there um what really actually got me took me out of that scene just a little bit wasn't necessarily her blocking the blaster fire from the speeder. It was the speeder hovering at that angle. Have we seen one do that before? We haven't really seen a lot of them outside of episode five, so not really. I was like, I didn't know they could just hover like helicopters. I imagine, you know, they're speeders, they're gliders, essentially. Like, I imagine they would need that forward thrust, but that's probably me overthinking things. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about that. I will freely admit that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think much more of it than the blaster bolts being deflected by a lightsaber. Then you get the emo- the most emotional death of the series. Wade! Wade! No! <laughs> the, Not God, Wade. Some of the memes popping up for it were kind of funny with the yeah. Wade death. As, as long as, like, Ice Cube Jr. is okay. But where it did resonate with me was seeing the loss that one person took on everyone else. Yeah. And I I understand they were showing that loss and it was like, wow, these are people that are thrust into a fight, much like you see a lot of that happen with the rebel Alliance in the original movies. And, you know, maybe they weren't intending to be fighters, but I thought when they come back onto the ship and the guy's like, Oh, where's Wade. And they just all sort of look very forlorn and sad and just keep going there's that beat of like silence and then Tala's like, well, you guys are fighters now. It's like, geez, that's pick, pick your moment. Like that's now's not the time. It's, you don't need to be a jerk about it. Like, yeah, you just, the guy just died. Yeah. Like these are people who are just looking to get to safety, not get in a battle. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you guys are fighters now. It's like, why? Because my friend died. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks jerk. And then yeah, the right. co- the coolest part of the episode, you just see Vader, Vader storming in and yelling, <laughs> like, oh gr- yeah, great, like that that'll that'll scare you as a viewer and anyone. And I know we touched on this in the last episode because we absolutely had to because we got some great Vader scenes in the last episode. But I just I really love how Disney is treating Vader because he is terrifying in every single appearance, and that is exactly what it needs to be. And you know, keep it up. That's that's one consistent thing Disney's doing right, is just nailing how scary Vader is. And even with him not among his enemies, even with him among his contemporaries in that final scene, it doesn't matter. If Vader's mad, he's mad. Stay out of his way. So then the episode wraps up with them kind of mourning Wade's death, and then they go back to Jabim. So what are your closing thoughts on episode four with everything we touched on? So I know it sounds like we were pretty harsh on that. Uh, you know, we were talking about a few of the things we didn't necessarily like or at least didn't think worked well. I do want to say I'm still having fun with this series. I love where Obi-Wan is going. This has been one of my favorite Disney Plus series right now. And episode four was still fun for me. I still really enjoyed seeing him, you know, taking on droids and troopers in the hallway and holding back the broken pane with the, you know, water outside. Like, those were all really great things. I will say among the first four episodes, episode four was probably my least favorite of the four. It was probably the weakest in my opinion. But that does not mean I am not enjoying it. I still very much enjoyed that episode. Yeah, now that I've had some time to marinate on the series, kind of my thought up to it to this point is that, like you said, I've been enjoying it, but there's definitely been some inconsistencies that I've noticed. And I feel like some of that has held back the series from being great and just kept it to being good. Right. And one thing I will want, I I do, I think this is an appropriate time to mention this, but I do want to remind people and Star Wars fans, again, I feel like I'm going to make a plea to Star Wars fans in every one of these conversations. We are older now and we have a lot more technology and we're looking at a lot of different movies that are very detailed, but there are some details that need to be sacrificed for the sake of story. 
And if we were to go back and watch the original movies under the microscope, like we analyze a lot of the new products with Star Wars, we could be able, we would be able to have many of the same complaints about some of the story beats and things that happened in the original movies. But, you know, those are the beloved movies and we kind of uh, look over some of those things for the sake of the bigger picture. And all I'm asking is, unless it's a big, huge problem or like a story breaking thing, like to me, the interrogation was kind of bad and took me out of it. But otherwise, like, I'm okay with it not being perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect to tell a good story. And at the end of the day, I still really love the story and the characters and the emotions we're getting from this series. And that's why I'm still completely invested. Yeah. And one thing I kind of had an issue with, but they kind of flesh it out in the next episode is Vader is very harsh on failure and him letting Reva live at the end of episode four was kind of like, really? Vader's killed people for a lot less. Nonetheless, letting Obi-Wan get away, who's obsessed over for the last 10 years. Like, yeah, and they do they do kind of talk about that in the next episode a little bit. But in my view, we may be getting a bit a little ahead of things. But I think Vader's very quick to kill people that not necessarily have just failed him, but that have failed him, and he doesn't see any ut- utility for them anymore. Yeah. You know, like the officers that make mistakes. You know, oh, they jumped out of like uh, hyperspace too close to Hoth, and now the shields are up. Yeah, there's no reason to keep that guy around. He's he's an idiot. What do you, what is he going to do for you? Yeah, they're but, very disposable. Exactly, they're very disposable. But then later on in that same movie, uh, you can tell I've been going back and rewatching the older movies. But <laughs> back yeah. in that same movie, he gets mouthed off to a few times uh, by Lando Calrissian. Even uh, Lando Calrissian mouths off to Vader a few times uh, in that movie as well. And Vader's just like, "Hey, I've changed the deal. You know, probably don't change it further or anything." But like. If you look at it, he could easily have just killed Lando, taken over the station, captured Han and and Leia. But that isn't easier for him, you know? Like, there's still a reason to keep Lando alive to make sure the station is running well and the trap can be sprung. So, like, he still found utility in using Lando Calrissian, which is why he doesn't just immediately kill him. Like, he probably would have with other people. So, even if you're looking in the past for Vader, like, if he feels like he can use you, He'll deal with a little bit of, of stuff to keep you around just long enough to be useful. So those are our closing thoughts for episode four. Then episode five, they started it in the fashion that I've been waiting for the whole series. We get a flashback with Hayden finally repri- reprising his role as Anakin for the first time since Revenge of the Sith. And my God, was it, it was just so great, especially for me growing up with the prequels to see Hayden as Anakin again. Oh yeah, that's that's what we've been wanting and that is what what a great sight. What a what a welcome insight and it, it was so good to see him back in that role and you can tell he's having fun with it and he's having a good time. And man, I'll tell you, I was beaming before he even turned around just even at the just, course of Yeah, the just seeing him you know? in yeah. just seeing him in his Jedi apparel. You're like, "Oh my god, it's finally happening." Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that... there it is. So this is what kind of what we were talking about in the first one. Like, guys, give it some, give it some time. Like, they're they're trying to tell a story. They're going to get there. You know, a lot of fans were too impatient, but like, here's the payoff we're getting in episode five, and I'm I'm happy I waited for it. It was great to see him in that role again. Yeah, it's very much a series that you have to see through till the end before you make all your judgments and criticisms on it. Yeah, definitely. And and to me, I think that's just more of a personal thing for me. I understand a lot of other people aren't like that, but that's that's how I try to take in any sort of movie or TV show or medium. I try to give it a chance, at least. Uh, the only exception so far for me has been that uh, awful Avatar movie that M. Night Shyamalan tried to make <laughs> a while back. And the Halo show. Yeah, yeah. Beyond those things, <laughs> I feel like, give it a chance, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with the Halo show, I mean, I won't go off on the tangent, but you could tell in episode one where they were not going with it. I'll just put it like that. But back to the the Hayden and Ewan McGregor scene. And one thing that was very prevalent to me, like Hayden Christensen even said in interviews how much he studied the role with how Anakin was expanded upon and the Clone Wars animated series and some of Rebels. And you could tell like he brought a lot of that to essentially one and a half minutes like a minute and a half of him on screen as Anakin. And you could tell like he really researched the hell out of his role. 
Yeah, and it's great to see that come across on the screen um, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look at any behind the scenes thing. I didn't realize he did that much to it, but like I could just see it and how he was playing that role. That like this is where you know it's Hayden Christensen. This is where you want to see him. He's having a good time, and those scenes were great. I really, I really liked getting that background glimpse uh, because clearly he had his hand. He still had his Padawan braid. Um, so this is pre. Episode Clone two, Wars yeah. kicking off, you know. So this is just a glimpse into, you know, what a day might be like in the Jedi Temple. You know, oh, eleven o'clock, I'm going to go meet with Anakin, and we're going to spar, kind of a thing. Like it seemed very, uh, very much like a routine, and then it, it, the tension just kept going up and up and up as you kept cutting back to that scene. And I thought it was really cool to have a, a sort of monotonous training session turn into a very tense duel. Yeah, and it kind of, and then after that, it cuts to Vader, and you can tell like it had a profound impact on him, and it kind of gives you an overlay of how Obi Wan taught him, how impatient and brash he still was at that time, and how that's still affecting him today as Vader. Yeah, he kind of embraced some of those things as his entryway to the dark side, but you know, especially in the from the perspective of the Jedi, those those can be weaknesses. And you see he's still thinking about those things and those are still impacting his decisions. Uh, even to this day when he's the very powerful Darth Vader, you know, he still thinks back to those moments. And it's interesting to watch that play back in his head. Yeah. And then after that, they make their way to the ground on Jabim. Reva goes down with a pretty much a battalion of stormtroopers and they're looking for Kenobi. And they hacked uh, Leia's droid Lola to cut off their escape route and they close the hangar door Reva makes her way to the ground and what I like about that scene is Obi-Wan goes without any weapons because he just shows that the mind is the most powerful tool and he's trying to draw Vader out then they get into a discussion with Reva and she gives her backstory and I could go off on a tangent about how that kind of broke Reva's character for me because well before we go there I just want to say um Bringing up the him going in without weapons, I really loved that callback to, um, I believe it's a new hope where, you know, in this show, he says, you know, there's more ways to fight than that, uh, or there's other ways to fight, or he says something akin to that. And then you see him also do that as older Obi-Wan when um, they're getting pulled into the tractor beam to the Death Star and Han's like, all right, turn around, we're taking this thing on. And Obi-Wan is like, hey, there's other ways, there's other ways to fight. And then it cuts to them hiding in the Millennium Falcon with, uh, you know, in Han's secret compartments. And it was a cool callback to that moment where Obi-Wan has to calm down Han Solo and be like, hey, man, there's different ways to fight. Let's let's save it for another day. And then yeah. here he is again, um, you know, still go- calling back to those lessons as a younger man um, to, uh, I, I again, another character that I refuse to use their character name, but young, young Ice Cube. Um <laughs> to say there's other ways to fight. And I just thought that was a cool little callback to that scene. Where I was going with part of my tangent was we get Reva's backstory and she was one of the younglings at the Jedi Temple during Order 66 on Operation Nightfall. And again, they're going with the strong imagery. Like they're showing Anakin slashing up younglings. Well, one other cool cinematic shot was just Hayden back in that episode three era. He had the robot and everything. He's in with the 501st Legion. But where I really had a problem with it is Vader has killed anyone who knows he's Anakin. He knows who Reva is. It just didn't make sense for me for him to keep her around this long knowing all this. Yeah, and it was definitely an intense scene calling back to those um, flashbacks. Um, They were very, you can tell they were very intentional about how they showed Order 66 in Episode 3. And you have scenes of Obi-Wan going, oh, I saw... I saw security holograms of Anakin killing younglings, but they never actually show him doing it. And boy, did they show him doing it here. <laughs> that was that was wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to get to your point, that's kind of what I'm saying earlier about Vader. Is like I'm willing to go with that. That didn't. I, I definitely get where you're coming from, but that didn't upset me as much. I'm willing to go with that because, kind of like the example I used with him seeing utility in Lando, like Reva's annoying. And she doesn't listen to the Inquisitors, and she's very headstrong and, and clearly motivated to do her own thing. However, you see time and time again, she is gifted with the Force. Uh, she's a strong Inquisitor. She's you know strong with her Force abilities, strong with her saber technique. And she's motivated 
also with a bit of a hate, which we find out, you know, for, for Obi-Wan, I can see the reason why Vader would know that she knows and still choose to keep her around because she can still, through her mistakes, help Vader get what he wants. So I can I can cross that bridge. I'm a little bit more willing to go there uh, than you are, I think, um, just because I see that as Vader still sticking with the, like, I'll let you live because you're useful to me right now, but I will kill you without a second thought. Yeah, I, I get the message they were going for, but to hold on to her for 10 years. Yeah, it does sort of go against the, the, the idea of Anakin via being very brash and impatient because uh, that's a bit of a long con. So, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely give you that. That's that's a, li- a bit more patience and, and longevity than most, most people get with him. Yeah, because that just made me think we could have had more time focusing on Vader being more directly involved in the hunt, or they could have just used the Grand Inquisitor more. It kind of just made her character development and arc feel a little more forced to me, given, given her backstory and the lore on Vader and how brash he is. And I sort of look at it almost, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, again, calling back to the original trilogy, when Vader is looking for Luke. You know, he wants to find Luke, but he still doesn't go out and get in his own ship and look for Luke. He's like, he's like, hey, I'm Vader. I've got stuff to do. I've got my own things going on. Like, this is important to me, but I'm going to use other people to do this. And that's where we meet, you know, Bosk and uh, Boba Fett. Like, he enlists bounty hunters, go find this ship. So to me, that was kind of similar to this, where he's like, I want Obi-Wan, but I'm going to go ahead and use my pawns. You know, I'm going to let other people bring him to me and do the hard work, and then I'm just going to go get Obi-Wan once I know what's going on. So in my mind, that's how he's using Reva. That still is, like you're saying, a lot of time to be working on that. As part of the dialogue tree for that, Obi-Wan tries to get Reva on his side to draw out vader and then take them on together then the imperials end up invading the base and everything and then you get the sacrifice with tala and the droid (laughs) it was cool seeing how the droid covered tala though Uh, yeah that scene no complaints about that scene really well done i got the tinglys you know i got the emotion there it was good to see her especially when we get that backstory of her essentially assisting in the killing of, uh, you know, unknowingly at the time, assisting in the killing of a Force-sensitive family to then that being her motivation for becoming a member of the path like this. And then we get that arc coming to full completion with her sacrificing herself to let everybody else go. I would have liked to have seen her at least maybe soft toss the thermal detonator down the hall a little bit Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I was like, you could throw it right now. And Obi-Wan's not too far away from you to use the Force. I just, Star Wars gets gets me in my feelings for droids when I don't think they will. Yeah, they really do. And they did that in Rogue One with, um, God, what was that droid's name? K2SO, I think? Yeah, yeah. When he sacrificed himself, it was like, damn. Yeah, it makes that one, that one hit me hard. I did not realize I had formed that bond with that droid throughout the story. And man, he went out like a boss. And just that, I was almost more emotional for that scene than I was for all of the other deaths in Rogue One. I was like, man, they really make me care about these droids. Yeah, they do. And then they want to set up a way for them to escape. And obviously, Obi-Wan paid mind to how powerful Vader is. And then they set off a decoy ship. And watching Vader grab it with the Force, pull it down, and rip it to shreds. Oh my god. I think my heart stopped. I think I think I had... A, a few moments where all of my biological functions ceased to function and I was just watching that happen because wow that was a force unleashed moment but to see it like yeah like like TV show like that and just the the power of that image and him just completely halting the ship and you see you're seeing all of the engines go but it's it's Vader and he just pulls it down and he starts ripping off the side panels man there's there's something primal in that there's something primal in that rage and it is Again, just really great how they're treating Vader and those scenes. That completely got me. I was holding my breath. I was like, "This is this is." I was freaking out. I was like, "This is great." <laughs> I I remember when I watched it. I was like, "What the hell is he doing?" Then I see him grab the ship with the Force because I thought it was going to get away right there. And then I was as soon as I saw him grab it with the Force, I was like, "I'll allow it." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because they framed it kind of similarly to when goes into the hangar on Hoth 
and the Millennium yeah. Falcon takes off in front of him and he just kind of watches it fly off. They framed it almost identical to that. If I'm remembering correctly, I have to go back and watch uh, Empire Strikes Back again. But they had the same sort of framing with him walking into the hangar and the ship starts taking off. So I thought, okay, he, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be like Hoth. And then he grabbed it and I lost my mind. Yeah, the one issue I had with that is the ship they were actually on by the time like Vader ripped it to shreds, so you could see it through the window. I'm like, this wasn't in frame before, and it was hiding. Like that was well, just it was. you could see it behind the other one. Okay, maybe I didn't see that because for a second I was like, where the hell did the ship come from? Okay, here's 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 a shameless brag for my life. Uh, I just bought an OLED TV, uh, and it's really nice and. You can see the other ship behind the decoy ship. It's it's sort of there's like an overhang that casts a shadow, and it was like in the shadow. Oh, okay. Uh, but because I just bought a super expensive, really nice TV, I you you could actually see it in the background in that shadow. That that makes more sense to me now because I was just like, did they really miss that with the directing that hard? Yeah, because I uh, I didn't notice it on my first watch through, but when I was looking for it, I watched you know I watched it again. And on my second watch through, knowing that they were escaping on a different ship, I kind of looked for it in the background, and, and yeah, they did put it in there. So that was that was some nice continuity. Yeah, and they did kind of play into the theme of the, the flashbacks where Anakin is too focused on winning. Exactly, and that was great storytelling. That was absolutely great storytelling to use that sparring match and the different ebbs and flows of that to sort of describe the siege on Jabim and, like, Again, Anakin's faults coming through with being a little too single-minded, you know, a little too focused on proving himself, and they get away. Um, and then it shows the end of that sparring match kind of echoing that same that same idea. Really great storytelling. I, I love how they tied that together. Yeah, and it kind of played together with that theme, where in the sparring match, Obi-Wan was able to beat him without his lightsaber. And then uh, after that, <laughs> it was... <laughs> The fight with Reva, that was sick. I just love seeing Vader. He's just toying with her. He's like, are you this stupid? I am so much yeah, more powerful than you. He doesn't even, he doesn't grab his lightsaber at all. He just flicks her around with the force a little bit, pushes her to the side, grabs her lightsaber, splits it in half, and then throws her the other end of it. I love that. It's like, okay, yeah, go ahead. Try me. Let's see. Yeah, it's, I, I just love that. It's like Vader, just, just like the whole time, like, you can't be serious. There's no way you're taking me down. Right. And it's, it is, again, just Vader at his best and most terrifying and strongest. And so much emotion can be conveyed with Vader, even though he has his full face covered, he's in a helmet and a breathing apparatus. Like you can almost see him smiling underneath the mask. Yeah, take that Halo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna let that go. Their whole premise of the you, series. You and, Cigar, you and Cigar City are very upset about that Halo show. <laughs> it, it was okay. I will say it was more me than him, but it's like you're framing this whole idea around. You need to see someone's face to convey their emotion. Not if you do it right. And we saw that a lot in The Mandalorian. And yes, they did some face reveals, but the face reveals had impact on the scene, where Din Djarin's character was, and how far he's come emotionally, and to form his own right. opinions. There were, there were reasons for it. And if you have good storytelling, and you have characters in situations that, you know, have been explained, that storytelling can overcome all of that. Like, you can use that to still move the um, story forward and you don't necessarily need to have somebody's face showing because like the audience isn't stupid. Like we get it. We don't have to, we don't have to see their face to know they're scared or see their face to know that Vader's just playing with her because that's where the story took us and they built up the emotions to that moment. So good storytelling and you don't need to worry about that stuff. Yeah, not at all. And then after that, it wasn't, there were some reveals that weren't too surprising, like learning that Revo was one of the younglings and that the Grand Inquisitor would right. come back. There was one meme I saw, so Bale left Obi-Wan a message on that transponder. There was one meme about it that I saw that was so funny that I thought was kind of true, and I'll just read it off to you real quick. 
The meme is, yo Obi-Wan, it's me, Bail Organa of Alderaan. In case you get captured by the Empire, I will leave you this message on an easy-to-lose and not-encrypted device that I will look after Luke Skywalker, the son of Darth Vader, better known as Anakin Skywalker. I will meet Owen Lars on <laughs> Mos Eisley Tatooine. I hope my adopted daughter, Leia Organa, secretly the twin sister of Luke Skywalker, is safe with you. May the Force be with you. That's exactly what that felt like. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's like, I, I get what they're doing for the story perspective, but it's like, how can you leave that dumb of a message behind? You can make the argument Bale is a father in, you know, grief and doesn't know if his daughter is okay or not, and he's panicking, but, like, he's smarter than that. And I yeah. love how the message starts off where he's like, I know you said no communications, but I'm worried, so let me name drop everybody that's important. Like, like you, you could have left that message in a way more discreet way. Exactly. It's like, like Obi-Wan is going to know what you're talking about if you're like, hey, uh, haven't heard from you in a little bit. I'm a little worried, so I'm going to check on the moisture farm or something like that. Like, just be very generic. Like, he gets it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's some stuff like that in this series that I was saying held it back from being what it could have been, in a sense. Yeah, there is great storytelling, but you do get some of those moments that feel, I think, a little bit rushed is the issue where they they know where they're going, but they're given six episodes of a TV show to get there. So you have to go really quick. There has to be some kind of jarring changes there, and it's... It, you don't have the space to be graceful in how you're getting these ideas out there. So there is great storytelling and I love how they're doing the series, but you do get those moments where you're like, okay, you guys kind of rush them. Yeah. And then they have to, Oh, we saw our favorite fake Jedi return too. Well, he's the one that drops the damn message. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I just wanted to throw his name in there because I mean, you can tell that guy is just kind of a scumbag, and he just always comes across kind of comedic to me, and obviously it's intentional, but it was kind of funny seeing, seeing him there, and he's like, oh, this is a great opportunity for business. Okay, and that's great. It's, it's good for a laugh. I like that Star Wars has sort of hit their mark with, um, at least it seems like they have. I hope I haven't jinxed it. Uh, but it seems like they've hit their mark with the um, comic relief, you know? Because in the original movies, you get the C-3PO being C-3PO scenes. You get some playful banter with the characters. But generally, it's a serious adventure and there's stakes involved. And, you know, they're not in the Death Star trying to infiltrate the base and cracking jokes because that would have been weird. Yeah. But then you got the prequels and especially uh, the Phantom Menace is, is a really bad offender with this where you have these serious scenes, but everybody's being very bantery. And then like Jar Jar is stepping in poop and it's like there's a, too much of the comic relief and it takes away from the story. I think that having him in that hangar being like, oh, this is a good opportunity to make money. It's like that, it was, fits. that was fine. That was a good yeah, balance. It, it fits. situation and a little bit of a laugh. Yeah, because that guy's just being himself, and, like, some of those people might not even understand the full gravity of the situation, too. Yeah, absolutely, because nobody really knows what's going on. They're just scared, um, and that, I imagine, is where a person like him really thrives. And then the episode ends with them getting off-world, and you get the sense that Obi-Wan can feels like uh, something's wrong. But it's interesting, you know, and he feels it in the Force, which is it's nice to see that he's regaining that connection where he's starting to get those um you know i feel a disturbance in the force moments um where uh, almost he can almost predict what's happening or, or just be really sensitive to that it's cool to see him as this story progresses as we get further along into this show start to become more powerful in the force again so i'm i'm guessing reva survives that stab to the stomach and so far, the only person in Star Wars who hasn't survived that type of wound is Qui-Gon. <laughs> but I was like, man, Vader really should have just finished her off right there. Well, you know, you heard the Grand Inquisitor. I guess Qui-Gon just didn't have enough revenge. No, he didn't. He didn't. But that that was cool oh, yeah. seeing the Grand Inquisitor just taunt her. Oh, yeah. And it's great. It was, It's cool because you get the impression that she's kind of doing her own thing really in charge. So it's nice to get those scenes with Vader and the Grand Inquisitor being like, no, we totally knew what you were doing. Get back on the ground. You're not on our level yet. So closing thoughts on episode five. Before I sum up my general thoughts, one scene I kind of, I'm I'm wondering if it was a little bit more clear to you, but when Reva gets stabbed by Vader, we have that flashback to her as a youngling 
and Anakin is there and he's killing all of her friends. So did Anakin also stab her when she was a youngling? That was the impression I got. Again now? Or like, or is that just her being like, is that just showing how scared she was of that happening? Did that actually happen? The impression I got was that it did happen to her as a youngling. That's what it seemed like. But then yeah. I'm wondering, I hope they address that again. And like I said, I've been, I, I'm completely willing to be patient and let them address these plot moments and, and the story. But like, I really hope they address that in the last episode of like, how did she get from that moment as a youngling where Anakin stabs her to where she is now, where Vader stabs her? <laughs> because yeah. you feel like maybe, you know, because there is a back to tank in that hangar. We saw Obi-Wan in there. So maybe Vader stabs her, leaves her. She crawls into the back to tank and she's okay. But what happened when she was a youngling? I hope they go back and kind of explain what happened there. Yeah, because we got one episode left. Yeah, and uh, I love that they started going into her backstory in this one, but they, they've they still got a few uh, loose ends to tie, but uh, it's encouraging after episode five that they are getting to those things. So I'm really interested in seeing what episode six looks like. I hope it's like two hours long, personally. <laughs> like, I yeah, would love I, I do. Movie, like... <laughs> yeah, I, I do, because there are still some loose ends that need to be tied up. And the rumor circulating is that there's going to be a second season and that they were going to cut some stuff out of the finale, so there's room for a season two. To sum up my general thoughts on episode five, though, if, we, if we're if we going back there, um, I loved it. That it, was, it, was, it gave me Vader, it gave me Anakin, and Hayden Christensen as Anakin, and it gave us the relationship between obi-wan and anakin if i was a little disappointed after episode four uh we can go ahead and insert the dumb and dumber you totally redeemed yourself thing because they totally redeemed themselves with episode five if i was a little disappointed after the previous one because that episode came in strong and it it absolutely held tension and emotion throughout the entire episode and it, it was exactly what my little nerd needed yeah, I, I do love the whole Hayden Christensen, Ewan McGregor, and then Obi-Wan and Darth Vader game. Like, I wanted more of that in the series. And I do want, well, I, I'm hopeful that we get another flashback with Hayden Christensen in episode six and a big Obi-Wan and Vader duel. That would be great. I mean, you kind of think like, uh, I thought going into this, if we got an Obi-Wan Vader duel, it would be like very much a finale sort of thing, but we ended up getting that in episode three. So I hope it's like how in the original trilogy, when Luke fights Vader in uh, Empire, but you can tell Vader's just sort of playing with him. Yeah. And then there's so much story and emotion and it ramps up to that way more emotional duel in return of the Jedi. So I think they're doing that same kind of thing, but uh, the, my point being it's an Obi-Wan Kenobi show. You gotta end it with a Vader duel. I mean, that's just, they've got to. Yeah, you really do because part of the marketing that Kathleen Kennedy was saying that this is the rematch of the century. So I'm expecting a big lightsaber fight in the next episode. Up until this point, also, Obi-Wan hasn't really used his lightsaber to duel. I, I don't think he's actually crossed lightsabers with anybody yet. He's used it defensively against stormtroopers. He's used it offensively in a really awesome scene in that dark torture chamber room against stormtroopers. But uh, besides that that brief, I guess, well, I, I guess I'm forgetting the Vader scene, but besides that little bit of him just trying to survive against Vader in episode three, like we're not getting a ton of lightsaber stuff. And I think that's going to make for an all the more powerful conclusion when it does end in a duel, which is what everybody expects to happen. Yeah, and the way it's set up, it looks like they're definitely going back to Tatooine. Which, honestly, I kind of forgot we haven't really been on Tatooine. Like, uh, I, I mentioned in uh, our initial conversation, I, I didn't know where the Obi-Wan show was going to go when it was first announced. And I'm like, okay, like, I love Tatooine, but we've kind of gotten a lot of Tatooine. And they yep. found a way to have, you know, almost every episode on, you know, new territory and different grounds. Um, so it's, it's interesting that we're coming back to Tatooine. And they did such a good job of telling the story in all the other episodes that, we may be going back to Tatooine in the finale, and now I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, shoot, that's right, I forgot about Tatooine. Yeah, I guess that's where we'll be going in the finale, but you also have to be careful with um, Vader not running into Luke. Yes. So, I, I and again, you know, 
I'm really wondering how they're going to wrap this up because is it going to be just a finale where Reva is going after Luke and then Obi-Wan stops her, but then what happens with Vader? And they have to be very delicate about how they approach this finale. To their credit, they've done a great job so far in telling this story for the most part. I really enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to put my faith in them that they'll have a, a, a good a good final episode. The big hope for everyone is the rematch of the century. So, oh yeah, get the popcorn. It's it's going down. Yeah, I think we'll have to be in touch when the uh, the finale comes out Wednesday. We, well, I know I definitely sent you some some all capital text messages after watching the episode five. So, yeah, we'll I'm sure we'll talk like pretty much as soon as that episode's over. Yeah, so we'll be back on another podcast episode next week where we go over the finale of the show, well, the episode in particular, and then wrap up our thoughts on the show and you know all that good stuff and we'll see if we get i I guess next week will be a more telling sign if we're going to get a season two yes because they usually wait until like after it's over to announce things like that yeah so any closing thoughts before we wrap up the podcast uh i think we've uh kind of hit those points i'm just really pleased with this series it's been kind of a pleasant surprise for me for like how strong it has been as an entry into the star wars universe I'm excited to see where they go with episode six. I, I like the storytelling and the pacing and, you know, we're getting some of the best Star Wars that, you know, we've ever had in the last few years with these uh, Disney Plus shows. And I'm just really excited to see what's going on with uh, the finale and and where we go from here. So I'm, I'm totally in. Definitely. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, we will be making a weekly podcast a part of the channel. I'll get around to making an account for it so you can find us wherever you get your podcast, you know, like uh, Spotify and all that. And then I'll also post it on our YouTube channel. So yeah, expect this uh, type of content every week. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, let us know. And our email is twoaveragebrothers at gmail.com. And I guess you could expect to see Mean Monger on the podcast more. If we're going into podcast and talking movies especially star wars then uh, you know you can give me a call i'm a little bit of a movie buff so i can talk for probably too long yeah and uh you know podcasting is always a good route to go so i am glad to make it a part of the channel and a reoccurring thing find a new topic to hit on every week and if there's something you want to talk about too fatty just uh let us know and then we can find something to watch and break down absolutely will do uh you'll probably be getting some <laughs> 1 a.m text of oh my god we should talk about this when i randomly think of things so just keep an eye out for that real quick have you watched the boys i am behind on the boys i okay. have seen uh season one i believe and that's it yeah because that's something i kept up with that we could bring up in future content oh definitely there's a lot of good tv out there right now and movies yeah guys so that'll do it for this episode subscribe to our youtube channel find us on spotify and wherever you get your podcasts and i'll be uploading all this there and thanks for coming on again fatty yeah thanks for having me uh take it easy yeah man and i uh, will see you next week for the finale of kenobi <laughs>